0: Hey, Northeast Pennsylvania, it's Rob O'Donnell here on WILK News Radio. 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on that Odyssey app. You can also catch us anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Just search The Rob O'Donnell Show. Download it wherever you get your podcast Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get a podcast, just search The Rob O'Donnell Show. We will be there. It's uh, 309 here in Northeast Pennsylvania. 44 degrees, mostly cloudy. Don't let that 44 degrees. Uh, Give you a false sense of security as there were some snow squalls moving through our area. I didn't hit any, but I saw them in the valley, you know, hitting parts of Scranton when I was listening to the Nikki Stone show on my way in. I heard people calling saying it was snowing in Scranton. And, uh, you know, I saw it. The squalls coming down, you saw the, but they were very isolated, so hopefully you didn't get it. But my daughter, my daughter out in Clarion, Pennsylvania, did send us a picture this morning. I think they got about two inches of snow out in western Pennsylvania in Clarion. So uh, they've had their first snowstorm. And, of course, she had to let us know at 7 o'clock in the morning that she had snow four hours away. But that's what parents are for, right? So how are you doing on this Wednesday, November first, 2023? How was your Halloween last night? Hopefully not too much. Hopefully you didn't, you're not in a candy coma today or you weren't last night and unable to sleep, uh, especially your kids. But make sure you portion that candy out sparingly. I know... You know, the kids think they went out, they got it, it's theirs, but we're the parents and you need to, and that goes for the wives and their husbands and the husbands and their wives too, depending on which one is the candy fiend. Make sure you split it up and give it out evenly. I got uh, three mini Twix last night after my dinner. That was my limit. There's a whole bag somewhere, but I got three after uh, my dinner. So, uh, you know, that's where I stood, so I know the feeling out there. Well, November is National Diabetes Awareness Month. And uh, I've posted that on my social media. I posted a picture of my daughter who's a type 1 diabetic. I got some feedback and some messages from a bunch of you who also have children and family members who are type 1 diabetics, type 2 diabetics. But it is National Diabetes Awareness Month. And it is, uh, my daughter's had it since she was five. And we almost lost her in kindergarten due to an emergency in class that wasn't recognized. The nurse was unavailable and the secretary sent her back to class where she was found semi-conscious and her organ shutting down because of that. And the scare it put into the principal and my wife who was working at the high school at the time ran over when she got the call that the daughter wasn't feeling her do- our daughter wasn't feeling well was able to uh, get her blood sugars up took her to the hospital, and everything was fine. Well, not fine. It was a life-scaring, uh, life-scaring uh, incident, enough so that I've addressed the school who basically at the time didn't want to really see it as a concern because there were a handful of type 1 diabetics in the school at that time, and again, this was 2007, and because I, I searched nationally what was going on in schools and how they were dealing with it, and I said, hey, there's 28 other states that do this, and it's best practice. This is what they're looking for. There's actually pending legislation in Pennsylvania to start doing this, basically train staff in diabetes awareness like they do in first aid and CPR, make training available on a volunteer basis for people who would like to test and treat Diabetics, if they need it, rather than just the school nurse. And I said, "This is this. You could be a good role model for the rest of the state if you start doing some of these things. Some of them they needed legislation to do, but others they didn't, and they didn't feel it was a priority for them." So I bypassed our local school district and I went straight to Harrisburg. I started working with a Republican senator, the the, the majority whip, and uh, a Democrat member of the House of Pennsylvania. Both had the same legislation, one in the House, one in the Senate. I sat them both down with my daughter, my daughter sitting next to me. And I explained to them that this was a fight that they both needed to take on together, bipartisanly. And they did. And I brought them together, and it took nine years of fighting. I posted some pictures of my daughter in 2009. April of 2009, we testified in front of the Pennsylvania House Education Committee. I brought uh, 45 pages of testimony of facts and data from around the nation. I was backed by the American Diabetes Association, who said he's done more research and has more evidence than we could care to add on to this. So we're just going to support Mr. O'Donnell and his uh, efforts here, making the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the 29th state in the nation that actually does this. And during the nine-year fight, I think it was up to 35 or 36 states that actually passed the law. I became a national advocate. I was teaching parents how to write 504 plans for their children affected by diabetes to basically legally force the school districts to do some things because a lot of schools want to push back. Our main roadblock in Harrisburg— In the state of, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, was the teachers union because nurses in Pennsylvania in the public school system fall under the teachers union. And their answer to everything is we want more union members, so we have to hire more nurses. But you guys know, in your school districts, hiring 15 or 16 nurses, one or two per building, is not a financial option. So if myself and my wife, as lay people, never having any medical experience, could be taught to care for our daughter? Why can't we teach volunteer school staff that are willing to be taught to recognize the signs, to test, to treat if it's an emergency situation, like an EpiPen? And we actually partnered with um, the people who, the, the, they were trying to change the laws at the time to have EpiPens brought into school. And we combine that legislation with the diabetes legislation. We were able to get the EpiPen about three years or four years sooner. So if your child needs an EpiPen in school, if you know your school has EpiPens now, they're allowed to use them. Glucagon, which is the diabetes form of uh, an EpiPen. If uh, you're going into severe diabetic shock, you get a shot with a, a Glucagon needle, similar to an EpiPen. That reverses that. It gives your body a rush of sugar so your organs don't start shutting down. Well, if you have that, it's because of the legislation that we passed in Harrisburg and started that fight in 2009. And if you go to my social media page, Rob O'Donnell on Facebook, you can see some pictures of that testimony, and you should read a little bit about the story. But it's one of those things to where if your local school district is not hearing you, Go to the next level. And if your state-elected legislators want to say, well, I'm a Democrat and I'm a Republican, well, as a parent who almost lost a child, I'm going to sit you down and I'm going to make you listen. And thankfully, they did. Thankfully, the situation overrode whatever bipartisanships they've had. To the extent where You know, our our local senator here was Bob Mello at the time. I had him sit down in meetings with the Republican majority whip to work together because he was our local state representative. And I said, I think it's important. I understand this is a Republican-sponsored in the Senate piece of legislation, but you are our local representative. One of your youngest constituents almost died because of a preventable emergency in, in class in kindergarten, and thankfully the principal at the time, who tragically lost a child to leukemia, witnessed this and stood against the school district, stood against his employer, the unions and everything else, and said, I never want to feel that helpless again. If I have the opportunity to get training and know how to prevent this, I am more than willing to learn how to do it and volunteer to do it. And again, this was voluntary. No one would be forced to do anything. And of course, the teachers' union and the school administration said, we will never get anyone to do this. We will never get anyone to do this. Teachers will not take on this responsibility. It's not what they're there, they're there for. They're there to teach it. And I will at least offer it. The legislation doesn't, teach, doesn't force anybody to do it. It requests volunteers. A minimum of three is what's preferred in the laws across the nation, including here in Pennsylvania. Well, when they put it out to school districts, there was an overwhelming response to people, teachers, school employees, that said, I want to know how to do this. I want to be able to help my student if there's an emergency. And I I put it quite simply when I was going against the nursing union in Pennsylvania, going against the teachers union, because, of course, the nurses want to protect their clientele, nursing, and says, well, we need more nurses, hire more nurses, Only nurses should be able to do this. Okay, well, explain to me how I'm the primary caretaker for my daughter when it comes to diabetes, especially when she's a kid. But outside of that household, only nurses should be able to do it. And it's simple as most of us have type 1 or type 2 diabetics in our life, you know, the finger pricks, you know, the simple testing. Thankfully, now there's all sorts of other technology that limits that. Went to Harrisburg, fought it, and it took nine years well into when my daughter was able to take care of herself. But in the meantime, her and diabetic students across the Commonwealth were growing at about 10% a year. More and more kids were coming down with type 1 diabetes for some reason. And that's just a debate for another time. So it was becoming more and more of an issue. And like I said, the, the, the teachers and school staff out there overwhelmingly said, I do not want to feel helpless when it comes to this. And if you look back at it, if you look in hindsight, and you look at the training teachers get now, you—it almost looks like it, wh- why was that argument even happening? I mean, you have teachers now with uh, le- learning how to use compression dressings due to active shooters and tourniquets and active shooter drills and such like that, but something as simple as you know taking an EpiPen and using it testing a diabetic child to see where they're at and if they need a nurse or not. And and ironically, when my daughter was sent to the nurse in kindergarten, unescorted, almost, uh, you know, in a a fog, if you're familiar with diabetes, that nurse was not in her office because she was helping tending to another diabetic child in another classroom. The secretary didn't know where she was and basically sent my daughter back to class. And again, without the proper training, you can't really blame them. They're not medically trained. They don't know what to do. But after this legislation passed, they were. School staff is trained just like they are for first aid and CPR and now active shooters and everything else. So that was a little bit of my uh, personal interaction here. You know, I moved to Pennsylvania in 2004 my daughter came down with diabetes in 2007, and in 2009, I was testifying before the House Education Committee in Harrisburg, the Senate Education Committee, members of the Senate. I was knocking on doors weekly down in Harrisburg. I would go down for two or three days and go to each person. I would find out who was against this legislation and make have meetings with them, schedule meetings with them, to sit down and explain to them, have them explain to me, why are you against this? I challenged the teachers' union in Pennsylvania that I will debate this law anywhere, anytime. You just let me know where. Of course, they never took me up on it, but they did try to grab me aside and have me not testify in front of the House Education Committee, saying they they would be able to work something out. Well, Without the law being changed, there's nothing to work out. There's only limited things you can do, and now that we're here and we're going to testify, let's see if we get the law changed. And now I'm not going to ask you to do it. We're going to make you do it because the law says you have to do it. You had the opportunity to sit down with me and, and do this earlier, both at my school district level, both in Harrisburg when I was talking to everybody and you said, no, we need to hire more nurses. This is not something we're going to do. It's not a teacher's function. Okay. Well, the care and custody of our kids is a teacher's function as far as I'm concerned. They should be able to come home the same way I put them on the bus that morning. It's as simple as that. Then now Pennsylvania is one of those, I think it's up to 39 or 42 states now, the last time I checked. But it did take uh, nine years for that law to pass. I think it took five and a half for the EpiPen law to pass, and then it had to be split. And then we got the the diabetes law passed nine years later, when my daughter was in high school. That's how long the those wheels take to move. But it is National Diabetes Awareness Month, and we'll probably talk about it a little more. As far as the awareness, just so you know, it's 323 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 327. The weather, it's cold outside. Let's just leave it at that. But uh, let's see. 43 degrees with some sun and clouds, more clouds than sun, I believe, in our area. Yesterday, we got reports that the IDF uh, had a strike. Well, first of all, they said there was an explosion at a refugee camp in the Gaza area. And at the time, going home last night, I believe the IDF said that they were looking into what happened, caused there. And then later on and earlier this morning, they said that, uh, yes, they did indeed strike that camp, that there was a high-value target there. I believe there's the last... uh, was around 50 deaths at, at this refugee camp. But they said this is what happens in war. We weigh the options of a high-value target to the collateral damage of civilians, and they decided that the target was worth it and struck this refugee camp. Now, the loss of civilian non-combatant life is always tragic. It, it is. But in a war that was brought to your people— You have to make a decision, and just like they did, and like they said, the IDF, saying that the high-value target was worth the collateral damage that was there. They regret it, but why is a high-value Hamas terrorist leader amongst the refugee camp, one would have to ask. A lot of people don't want to ask that question. Why are refugee camps still in a combat area? Why aren't they down more towards the border where they're not being allowed in? You know, it's interesting, while all this is going on in, in the Gaza Strip and, and in Israel, Pakistan just bulldozed and forced tens of thousands of Afghan refugees that have been living in, in Pakistan, the outskirts of Pakistan, for over a decade. They just bulldozed their homes and said, go back to Afghanistan. They're no longer welcome in pa- Pakistan. And that's going on while this is going on. I'm sure they're timing it perfectly as this is going on, as the world is distracted to do something like that. But you you haven't heard about that, did you? You know, the fact that there's not an Arab nation that's allowing refugees to come in, they could vet who's coming in and say, we're going to set up temporary camps while the war is ongoing. We're going to vet every single person. Just take women and children and the elderly. If you're of military age, I'm sorry, you can't come in. But not a single Arab nation has done that. As a matter of fact, one of our allies, Egypt, is not even letting American citizens come across the Egyptian border. There was finally some reports of them letting severely injured people come in. But you will have some, and again, loss of innocent lives is tragic. And you'll have people just focus on that. Look at the bad IDF. Look at the bad Israelis. There's no compassion. there; just killing people in the Gaza area. Well, the high-value target that they were targeting just before he was targeted said and promoted that he wants the fighters of Hamas to perform another October 7th, meaning you want them to go in and mutilate and kill women and children and everything else. You know, they just had a, the IDF put together the body cam footage of the Hamas— Terrorists that they were wearing to show to their legislatures in, in in Israel. And they said like a third of them had to leave. They couldn't sit through it. I, I wish they offered the same for the legislators here in America to see what's actually happening there. But there will be some saying, oh, you just don't want to cover parts of what's going on. Yes, the IDF did strike a refugee camp killing the last ISOR 50. Innocent civilians, some of them children, some of them women. But they said it was worth the strike due to the high-value target that was amongst them. And again, you have to ask yourself, why is a high-value target amongst them? Because that's the way Hamas fights. That's the way their command and control works. Hospitals, mosques, we, we know this. It's unfortunate. And once Hamas is decimated, hopefully the people of the Gaza Strip, can choose not to have their leadership there anymore and uprise against them themselves. It's uh, 3.31 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Paul Michaels. You're with the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It is 3.38, 43 degrees, and mostly cloudy outside. The Rob O'Donnell Show is brought to you by Road Scholar Transport. You have unique shipping needs, and Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van, temperature-controlled, and high-security are just a few, visit roadscholar.com. Well, the Turnpike is planning on having some public meetings on the Scranton Beltway. If you think you might be affected by it, either at the uh, South Abington Township area or down here in the Pittston area, you might want to be aware of what's going on with this and the meetings that are going to happen. Because some people are worried about how it's going to affect their homes. And hopefully, those residents will know a little bit more in two weeks. The Pennsylvania Turnpike officials will unveil a long-awaited plan for the bypass at a public meetings on November 13th and 14th. At least one resident, as per the Times-Tribune, said that uh, she got some idea. She spoke to the new project manager, Nick Noss, by phone several weeks ago, and He told her the project won't affect her Willow Lane neighbors' homes. She said that's what she was informed. Although there are other homes that are affected, and there's talk about uh, a sound wall. But he wasn't positive on where that would be. And the homeowner there said, we're very grateful to even have that information after the over five years. Now, other officials... Other other residents, rather, said that Mr. Noss did not give them clear, concise information either, kind of saying that, it's, well, you may be affected. In an October 18th letter, residents informing them of the meetings, Noss said that the project has moved into the final preliminary design, which means overall engineering is about 30% complete. The purpose of the public meeting is to provide information on where roadway connections could be and the results of traffic noise studies and other environmental considerations such as stormwater. Efforts to reach NAS were unsuccessful and the Turnpike spokesperson declined to provide the names of possibly affected properties. The November 13th meeting is scheduled for the Martin L., Matei Middle School, Cafeteria, 120 North Street in Pittston. The November 14th meeting is at the Best Western Plus on Northern Boulevard in South Abington Township. Both meetings are scheduled from 6 to 8 p.m. The Turnpike mailed notices to residents. So if you're going to be affected by this, the Turnpike has mailed you a notice. But if you're in that area and you want to know what's going on with this Turnpike bypass, the Scranton bypass, The meetings will take place near the points where the bypass will connect to Interstate 81 to the Turnpike's northeast extension. One is in South Abington, the other in Pittston Township. The estimated $170 million project aims to divert traffic, especially large trucks, from 81 to the less busy Turnpike, roughly between Turnpike exits 115 in Pittston Township and the Turnpike's end 16 miles north in South Abington Township. The distance along I-81 between the two points is about nineteen miles. Again, another resident who lives on Adalia Road, who also spoke to Nas by phone, said he was more vague about her home. All he said to me was, Well, I can really I can't really answer for whether or not you're affected. I said, You know, it's five years now. I'm trying to be nice. It's five years. I said, all I'm making, all I'm asking for, is an answer. And he said, "Well, you know, we might need the right away, but I'm not a right away person. But I don't think uh, he really has the answers. So for one homeowner who spoke to him, the answer was, you know, you're not going to be affected. For another homeowner, kind of was told he doesn't know, and he's not a right away person, but they may need it." I think you could read the writing on the wall there. But if you're interested in those meetings, like I said, they're November thirteenth and fourteenth from six to eight PM. And you could check out today's Times Tribune if you're looking for more details on that, but we'll see what happens with here. I mean, I don't think it's gonna happen anytime in the near future, just the plannings took five years. It does not say uh when it's expected to to work, but Earlier estimates project removing 2,500 vehicles from I 81 northbound and 2,200 vehicles from I 81 southbound. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 340, almost 348 here in the studio, 43 degrees with some sun and clouds outside, but it's cold, chilly outside. Well, it looks like um, an effort in Pennsylvania for private funding for public electric vehicle charges is on the move. House Bill 1474 introduced by Representative Joe Ceresi of Royersford would add EV charging infrastructure projects as eligible for financing under Pennsylvania's property-assessed clean energy program. Now, it narrowly passed the House by 102 to 100 vote. But since 2018, CPACE, that's the... uh, Pennsylvania property assessed clean energy program has helped property owners finance 250 million for projects that promote energy efficiency, clean energy, and conservation. The investments are funded through private capital. So the program doesn't impose a financial burden on the Commonwealth or local governments, but the administration part of it comes through the government because it's paid back. It's a low interest loan from private financing, but it's paid back through assessments through your county and your municipalities. Now, the new adding to this bill is that 70%, 75% of the project needs to be made in America. That's what was able to get it past that hurdle of 102 to 100 But again, with the added burden that this loans will be paid back, and what this is for, this is for shopping centers, private entities, apartment buildings, condominiums, um, like the shops at Montage or something like that, uh, malls in their parking lot. Private entities could get this to add public charges that are open to the public. But again, it's administrated through your assessment back in taxes. So I don't think it's fair to say that this is totally not a burden on the government because the government's the one administrating it. You know down the road they're going to say we have to increase taxes to administer this plan. It's 3.50, time for the Bloomberg. Hey, with the Rob O'Donnell Show here on WILK News Radio. it's 3.54, 43 degrees, and mostly cloudy. This is probably a bad time with everything going on in the world. Russia, Ukraine, the Middle East is on the verge of who knows what. Our military is being attacked. We were just attacked again last night via drone attack that was uh, prevented by our military swift action. But I think what are we at 25 times in the past two weeks attacks on American assets in the Middle East. But the Pentagon is announcing a new nuclear bomb, 24 times more powerful than the one dropped in Japan. The new bomb would replace some current stocks and not increase the U.S. nuclear stockpile. So it's, we're not adding, we're just making it stronger and updating. The Department of Defense announced its pursuit of a nuclear bomb that will be 25 times more powerful than the bomb dropped during World War II. It's seeking congressional approval for funding to pursue a modern variant of the B-61 nuclear gravity bomb which will be designated the B61-13, according to the DOD press release. Today's announcement is reflective of a changing security environment and growing threats from potential adversaries, Assistant Secretary of Defense for Space Policy, John Plum said in a release. The United States has a responsibility to continue to assess and field the capabilities we need to credibly deter and if necessary, respond to strategic attacks and assure our allies. A fact sheet included with the release said that the B-61-13 will have a similar yield to the B-61-7, which according to the Defense News report, has a ma- maximum yield of 360 kilotons. The load is 24 times larger than the bomb dropped in Hiroshima and Japan, which was about a 15 kiloton bomb. The B-61-13 would also be about 14 times larger than the bomb drop on Nagasaki, which was 25 kilotons. According to the fact sheet, the powerful new bomb will also include the modern safety, security, and accuracy features of the B-61-12. The announcement comes amid rising tensions around the globe, with the U.S. conducting a high-explosive experiment at a nuclear test site in Nevada earlier this month. Were you aware of that? I, I, have, I have my ear pretty much to the ground of what's going on with our military, and I didn't know that we tested a nuclear bomb in Nevada earlier this month. Corey Hinderstein, the Deputy Administrator for Defense Nuclear Nonproliferation and the National Security Administration administration, said that the test was meant to advance our efforts to develop new technology in support of U.S. nuclear proliferation goals. They will help reduce global nuclear threats by improving and detecting of underground nuclear explosive tests, he said of the experiment. The test came as Russia was largely expected to announce it was pulling out of the 1966 Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, which was designed to ban nuclear explosions anywhere in the world, However, the treaty was never ratified by China, India, Pakistan, North Korea, Israel, Iran, or Egypt. If approved, the bomb would replace some of the current B-61-7s currently in our stockpile instead of increasing the size of our stocks, the release noted. The new bomb will be deliverable by modern aircraft, the release notes, and will be designed to give the president options to strike hard and large area military targets. The uh, B-6113 represents a reasonable step to manage the challenges of a highly dynamic security environment. While it provides us with additional flexibility, production will not increase the overall number of weapons in our stockpile, just replacing some outdated versions. I don't know. First of all, it was news that the... uh, We did a test in Nevada earlier the month, and is this just bad timing? Is this a show of force to the world? I'm just seeing on the news now there have been 28 attacks on U.S. forces since October 17th in the Middle East, 28 attacks. That's what's coming up uh, on my TV screen as they're talking about it now. But with everything going on, Is this just showing the world that, hey, and text message says it, Rob, why would they announce that? Maybe to let the world know that it's in the pipe, that it's coming, not to mess around. Maybe some Cold War uh, efforts coming back where it's a forced, what is it, a peace through overwhelming force? Well, we'll see. It's four o'clock here on WILK News Radio. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show, hopefully with some better news. But I don't know what everything going on. That's going to be hard to find. But we'll find some for you. We'll be back after the four o'clock hour.